Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Hey everyone, Lisa Tarmati here and welcome back to the show. Super excited that you can join me again today. So today I have Dr. Elena Seranova, molecular biologist and good friend of mine. And we do a deep dive into more longevity, anti-aging, mitochondrial health, DNA repair, um, understanding autophagy, senescent cells, maybe a lot of words that you haven't heard before. But if you understand that you want to have uh, an increased longevity, uh, you want anti-aging strategies, if you're an athlete that wants to preserve your performance, your athletic performance, this is definitely one for you. So I hope that you enjoy this episode with Dr. Alina. Um, She's been on the podcast a number of times now, and she's a very, very amazing scientist. She is... um, so entrenched into all this we go quite fast so make sure you listen a couple of times if stuff goes over your head just um, rewind and listen to it again it's important important information so I hope you enjoy just a reminder too to check out our epigenetics program if you are wanting to understand what your genes are all about and how to optimize your life for those genes then head over to lisatarmity.com and hit the work with us button and check out our epigenetics program Um, we also have our run coaching programs Uh, we have our anti-aging longevity supplements of course dr alina is behind that as well um so lots of things that we do over there and i would really really appreciate you guys if you could um share this with friends and subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating and review and if you're listening to this on youtube please subscribe to the YouTube channel too. We are ramping up our YouTube channel and uh, we're over a million views now. We're really, really charging there. So we'd really appreciate you subscribing on our YouTube channel as well. Right, over to the show now with Dr. Alina Siranova. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have my very good friend uh, and colleague, Dr. Alina Siranova. Welcome back, Alina. It's fantastic to have you again. Oh, I'm so happy to be here again. I think we're going to record an amazing podcast today. We're going to cover really cool, interesting, nuanced uh, subjects on, um, you know, athletic performance, supplements, uh, longevity. So I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, me too. And I love chatting with you because I learn so much each time and you being in the longevity space and the anti-aging space. And on that note, I'm, I'm three quarters of the way through your longevity course that you did with Jesse Kuma. Ah. Absolutely fantastic. So I'll put the links to that in the show notes, everybody, if you want to do a real deep dive into the science of longevity. Um, but today we're going to be focusing a little bit on the athletes, uh, people who want to maintain their performance as they get older. And as an aging athlete, as <laughs> we're definitely my cup of tea. Um, So we're going to be talking about uh, some supplements and some regimes that you can do and why we decline with age. So Alina, what drives the the, the decline in athletes? Why why do we see a drop off as we we get older? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, one uh, very major cause of this is the the mitochondrial decline that we see in athletes and in all people really uh, over the age. So this uh, particular subject has to do with speed winding and decreased performance over time in in various sports. And this is a very interesting subject and it's connected to many, many uh, things that we can change as well in our daily mm-hmm. life in order to kind of prevent it. So in terms of biology, uh, what 
happens with our mitochondrial function over um, over the age is that it declines and it declines in different tissues differently. Now, um, you probably have heard of the term senescence, which mm. is basically describing the state of cells that um, that stop dividing, they stop proliferating, they're basically getting old. It's old zombie cells that are sitting in our tissues and they just doing nothing. They do secrete some inflammatory signals to say that, look, I'm not feeling very well. Uh, I don't think what's going on here, the environment is not very good. So it wants to basically warn the other cells that it's not doing well with this signals. And then it basically turns the neighboring uh, cells into senescent cells. Now, in different tissues, we might have um, as many as um, either 5% or up to 20% senescent wow. cells in different yeah. tissues as we age. And this is a big problem because not only it does cause inflammation, but what we've seen is that the mitochondria and senescent cells, they're more dysfunctional that might, than mitochondria in, uh, uh, in perfectly healthy cells. Now, now, how does this work? So when a cell becomes senescent, it's basically... Um, swelling it's it becomes bigger in size mm -hmm. and also the mitochondrial mass in these cells is also becoming bigger right. but what happens inside the mitochondria we see that um the mitochondria basically become um, depolarized. So the mitochondrial membrane potential is not being preserved properly. And this leads to increased reactive oxygen species within the cells, uh, because now the mitochondria are not functioning properly. The, um, um, the, the whole electron transport chain is not functioning properly. And this means that the mitochondria are unable to cope with the load of reactive oxygen species that are being generated. Not only that, but the mitochondrial DNA is also affected. Now, this is an interesting one. So mm -hmm. remember in the previous podcast, we talked about um, histone acetylation and methylation and all of this epigenetic processes going on with our DNA as we age, and they're basically stop being fine-tuned because um, our cells basically forget how to fine-tune themselves yep. and yep. the epigenetic processes become less efficient. So um, if you guys are listening to this right now and you haven't listened to the previous episode, maybe we can link this down oh. in Definitely. Yep. I think it would be worth going back and listening to our previous podcast about methylation and deacetylation. Now, um, the nuclear DNA, the DNA in our cells, it's packed in histones. So histones are, is this tightly packed formation, uh, and it basically helps to uh, to preserve the genetic material and then to also control which genes will be expressed and will which genes will not be expressed in different tissues. So, for example, in a, in a neuron, we will be having the neuronal uh, genes expressed. In liver, we will be having the liver genes expressed. Um, mm -hmm. Now, with the the mitochondrial DNA, it's interesting because, first of all, it's uh, it, it's in a completely different form, right? It's not wrapped around histones. There is right. no histones in, uh, oh. in the DNA of mitochondria. So what happens there is that uh, now that it's not uh, in this protective package, it's basically more prone to uh, oxidative stress. Damage. And yep. this generates more mutations in the mitochondrial DNA. And it could be as high as 15-fold or 16 
16-fold more mutations in our mitochondrial DNA that we are acquiring as we get older, if you compare it to the nuclear DNA, to the DNA of our cells. Now, this is very crucial because then we we lose this function and then all of this, uh, the electron transport chain is not basically expressed properly anymore and the genes do not know how to fine-tune the mitochondrial function. Now, this creates a vicious circle where we have more reactive oxygen species and we don't have the capacity to to deal with this. Not Mm -hmm. only that, but those dysfunctional mitochondria that now have an increased mass in a cell that is basically dying and it's also having uh, an increased mass of itself, um, they're just floating around. And as we know, with age, we also get a decline in our homeostatic process called autophagy, which is basically responsible for recycling cellular organelles. And it could be uh, quite specific to different substrates and different organelles. So for example, the arm of autophagy that is clearing up the mitochondria, it's called mitophagy. Now, what we're seeing is that with age, the mitophagy is also declining. So now we have all of this mitochondrial mass that is Mm -hmm. dysfunctional. It's floating around. Uh, The the membrane within the mitochondria is depolarized. It's not working properly. And there is no one to clean this mess. So Mm -hmm. the cell is just sitting there. It's uh, it's a horrible state to be in, let's just say. And for this reason, we know that uh, within this senescent cells, we have this problem where we don't have this, uh, we don't have energy generation going on as usual anymore because mitochondria are the ones that are uh, the powerhouses of the te- of the cell and they produce ATP, but they can't do that if the mitochondrial membrane potential is depolarized. So this is what's happening on a on a physiology perspective um, here. And then uh, what happens is that uh, when we're talking about athletes that have been uh, used to be exercising their whole life and they've been they're exercising for several several hours a day they would be have their, their tissues would basically be worn off from increased reactive oxygen species yeah. because this is what exercise does to us it's and us. someone yeah, would ask Okay, but uh, so does this mean that we shouldn't move, that basically whatever we're doing uh, is basically wearing us off? And unfortunately, the answer is yes, it does wear us off. It's the same thing as, you know, having uh, using a car and the more you use it, the uh, um, basically the, the more it wears off, like all the parts wear off more. Uh, so this is what happens with exercise. And um besides the the damage that you you are getting from the exercise, you also have this increasing population of senescent cells going on uh, in your tissues and also decreased mitophagy and autophagy. So now your tissues are becoming less and less efficient in dealing with reactive oxygen species stress and also other kinds of stresses, right? Because we also have, let's say, uh, the lactic acid buildup in athletes and things like that. Um, and, you know, as we go, this becomes uh, this becomes basically a problem. So that's that's what happens there. Can I just ask, because so, so people just hear, hearing that, I mean, that was a, a, a shit ton of science very, very quickly. So, so, um, so it's with you, always with you because your brain is so big. 
<laughs> Let me try, try to interpret some of that down. So exercise is not bad in and of itself. It's about the dose, isn't it? So we want a hermetic stress. We want to create some uh, oxidative stress in our cells, some reactive oxygen species, but not more than our body can cope with and our cells can cope with so that we don't overwhelm these systems that we have in place to, to repair. So we want to make ourselves stronger through exercise. So when I, when I go for a, a training session in the gym, I might be breaking down muscle tissue and doing you know some damage in the short term but my body then goes, oh, we need some more muscle tissue. We need some more of whatever the case is and actually comes back stronger. The problem is, Mm -hmm. so as an ultramarathon runner, I overwhelmed my system and I did it constantly because I was doing back to back. So that led to accelerated aging, accelerated wear and tear and inflammation in my body. So now, like just speaking from an experiential point of view, like I've lived this, um, I have a lot less pain in my body now that I'm not doing the extreme amount of exercise that I was doing before. And I get better results because I'm not overwhelming this oxidative uh, capacity of my body. And yes. everybody is genetically slightly different. Um, and so, and, and if we just go back to the senescent cells, so the senescent cells are cells that have got some damage uh, from toxins, from breathing, from exercise, from food, whatever the, the case may be. And they're not, they're sending out these cytokines and chemokines. So these are inflammatory agents. They are telling the cells around them, I need help, but they're actually infecting the other cells. Is that correct? And so we get more mm-hmm. and more of these senescent cells and we want to upregulate our autophagy paths. And this is where some of the supplements can come in. Um, mm-hmm. How do how do we upregulate our autophagy? So autophagy, for, for those who don't know, is self-eating. So this is the recycling mechanism that our body has to get rid of damaged cells and get some new ones going, so to speak. Um, and we want to upregulate our autophagy. How can we do that? I know that fasting, for example, mm-hmm. is a super way to increase our autophagy. Can you, you know, go, go into that autophagy piece of sure. the puzzle? Absolutely. So a couple of points here. So first of all, you're absolutely right with regards to the description of what's going on in the body when you're exercising, because this is indeed the case. You do want to be logging in some exercise because exercise is beneficial for you. It does offer multiple benefits um, and things like that. So exercise is not bad per se. However, when you are um, having, you know, like so much exercise in your life where you're training several hours a day, you will be having this chronic damage basically accumulating for sure. And um, with regards to to exercise and autophagy, what you want to do is um, that you're actually absolutely right with regards to the body saying, look, I've exercised and now I need to build more muscle. And this is where, you know, we have our our catabolic and anabolic pathways, basically the mTOR and AMPK pathways, um, Mm -hmm. basically um, being intertwined during uh, 24 hours and so on. So for example, uh, you wake up in the morning, you have your autophagy pathways activated, you're fasted because fast, um, basically amino acids are a very um, major signal for uh, for mTOR, uh, mammalian target of rapamycin that is responsible for uh, muscle growth. So whenever you are fasted, it's not active, but then when you are, where you are consuming, consuming calories, especially uh, foods rich in amino acids, mTOR gets activated. And it says, okay, so now we are going into anabolism. We want, we have an abundance of nutrients and we want to go and build some muscle. Now, 
This is why you're, um, you know, you're basically eating after exercise and you're giving your body the fuel to build more muscle. So mm. this is what you want to do mm. with regards to the intermittent fasting is that <clears throat> many people have a certain uh, feeding window during their day. So let's say you wake up, you're fasted, you're, you're doing your, you're logging in your exercise and then you're eating well. And then maybe you have uh, a few hours window during the day where you keep on consuming calories. So this will keep on um, your mTOR activated. But then when you stop eating after a couple of hours, you know, the, the mTOR basically switches off and AMPK takes over. Now, yeah. uh, when there is no, uh, there are no amino acid present anymore and everything's digested, AMPK kicks in and autophagy is being activated. And you want to have this change throughout your day. Where cycle. You're, yeah. Yes, exactly. Where you're cycling the, the mTOR and you still are building some muscle. And then after that, you're going into autophagy activation. And now you're clearing up the intracellular junk that has been generated during the day. And, you know, your body is basically, uh, giving itself a chance to clear up everything, uh, because autophagy is basically, um, it, it does consist from various parts like the autophagosome that is engulfing the, uh, the toxins and then it fuses with the lysosome, which is basically the stomach of the cell. So it's acidic. And then it's basically recycling all of the um, all of this junk back to amino acids. So uh, it could be utilized from the cell to build new, uh, new proteins and so on. So um, you do want to have the cycle. And depending on how much you're training, you might consider changing the, the intermittent fasting um, you know, window. Because if you are at, um, on a growth stage, I think that... That, um, you know, you want to build muscle, you're training very hard, like, um, you know, every day and you're building and building, you're doing resistance training, things like that. Um, you don't want your, uh, your feeding window to be too narrow because you want to keep on building. So you want to keep on fueling it uh, with with food. Um, and then, you know, um, bodybuilders are consuming a lot of calories, a lot of, um, you know, chicken and, and, and meat and, um, you know, foods that are very rich in amino acids because they need this fuel. And actually funny thing, uh, a friend of mine is, is trying to do this right now and he's going to the gym regularly. And it's interesting because he brought something else into my attention that not only he's making sure that he gets three meals a day, which usually he doesn't. So before he went into the stage, he was doing intermittent fasting maybe one or two meals a day but now he's doing three meals a day uh which is actually hard for him because he says that you know what oh my god i can't like eat I'm more pro any more protein it's too <laughs> much protein but this is what my trainer tells me to do um and then also another fact that is affecting this is the circadian rhythms and how much you sleep because if you're not sleeping enough let's say you're training hard you're doing three meals a day but then you're only sleeping four or five hours a day yeah. uh, mTOR will not be as efficient in wow. terms of building muscle so you also need to get a, a good night's sleep for this process to build muscle so so i thought that this is i this hope is everyone's cool. listening to that because that sleep that is your biggest leverage point or one of your biggest leverage points and so cycling so we want to have times throughout the day where we are mm -hmm. in the growth phase, the anabolic, the mm -hmm. mTOR, as you mentioned, yeah. is the pathway to growth. We were growing tissue, we're repairing tissue, we're building muscle, we're doing all that re recovery stuff. And then we want to have periods of the times of the day when we're doing autophagy. So I liken yeah. this as to when, you know, I, I when I when I make a nice meal and I have a, have a feed and then I, I've got to go and take out the garbage. 
and before I bring in the next lot of groceries and cook the next meal, because if I don't take the garbage out, my kitchen is going to get such a mess that I won't be able to do anything, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, it's a yeah. clear out phase, a build phase, a clear out phase, a build phase. And a, a, yes. a lot of athletes sort of think, I have to be constantly in a build phase, especially, you know, muscle athletes like uh, bodybuilders or, or people of yeah. doing weight training. They think they have to have their chicken and their fish and their whatever every two hours type of thing. And, you know, it's a discussion I have with my brother regularly. Um, you don't actually need that. What you need is a shorter window. You need time to clear out the garbage. If you don't, then yeah. you're going to get more of these senescent cells, have more of the garbage still in the house, so to speak, and you're not clearing it out. So, mm-hmm. and, we, and we want to do these in, in, in macro cycles as well as sort of micro cycles, don't we? So we want to have it on a daily basis where we're cycling in and out of mTOR and yeah, AMPK, exactly. but also over the cyclic, say, of a month. And then, you know, we could also talk about like women at certain times of their cycle when they need to be mm-hmm. maybe eating a little bit more carbs and other times when yeah. they need less carbs according to their cycle, which is probably its own podcast. Um, but just cycling in and out, it's not every day the same thing. Not when it comes to training, yes. not when it comes to food. Not, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, a couple of points here. So, you're absolutely correct that even when you're bodybuilding, for example, what you care about is not how often you eat. What you care about is how many calories you log in. So, you still can have, let's say, uh, an eight hour feeding window during the day, which is not much, but you consume a lot of calories within, let's say, three meals. And then you still get your mTOR growth on, and this is all fine. And then 16 hours, you're fasting. And, you know, you, you don't have to be eating for 12 hours, for example, yeah. right? Like this is, this is my philosophy in this and you will still mm. be getting the, uh, the gains. And then uh, there are some supplements that can help you kickstart, uh, you know, the autophagy process in the evening. Yeah, so for example, Fermidin is, is one such supplement mm. which activates autophagy and then uh, berberine as well. Uh, it mm. actually does have the same effect. So it does activate AMPK. So it can help you um, kind of kick you into autophagy faster in the evening and, this is what I'm doing with Berberine yeah, as well, too. by the way. I'm taking it after my last meal of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that's my, uh, my, my evening supplement cocktail there. Um, and, and yeah, and this is what you do. But um, going back to the, uh, to the subject of the senescent cells, because as we said, you know, they just keep on accumulating um, in the tissues and you want to kind of combat that because if you don't have this inflammatory signaling going on, your tissues will be performing better. So mm. this will be tied up to, you know, to better speed, better endurance, things like that. Now, what we're, um, what we can do today in order to combat this is to make sure that we also introduce some senolytics, um, some, some supplements ba- that basically can uh, very specifically and potently um, deal with senescent cells. So we mm-hmm. have two classes of, of uh, compounds here. We have the senolytics, the one that kill the senescent cells, and we have the senomorphics, the, the ones that basically modify the senescent cells to make sure that um, maybe they can, they can even they repair can them back to normal yep. uh, stage. Uh, so they would lose the uh, senescent phenotype. Now, yep. 
one such compound is quercetin, which is our new product with NMN Bio. So it's actually a quercetin complex that uh, contains quercetin plus vitamin C plus citrus bioflavonoids. And um, let me just explain uh, about the biology here, because uh, everything that we do, we do we do it for a reason, right? Reason. So we do we didn't see a reason to um, to launch quercetin and to offer it to our uh, customers just by itself. Now uh, there is a thing called the quercetin paradox. And what it is, is that quercetin, depending on the conditions that it's in, it can either produce um, safe um, and beneficial metabolites, or it can actually produce toxic metabolites. This is very interesting because uh, first you need to make sure that you're taking your quercetin with vitamin C because uh, vitamin C is an anti antioxidant. Now, when we consume quercetin, it can actually oxidize quite easily inside our tissue. Issues. So mm -hmm. you want you definitely want to avoid that, and that's why uh, I, I don't even know why some companies just selling quercetin by itself, right? Because you know you overdo this uh, with quercetin, you take some high doses with no vitamin C, it's just going to oxidize in your tissues. It's not going to be good for you, and that's the reason why we added vitamin C in our formula. And then we also added citrus bioflavonoids because uh, this is when the vitamin C efficiency is being boosted because um, we usually uh, get vitamin C, you know, in, in citruses, in oranges, lemons, and things like that. So it functions better. It's like it's natural environment yeah, to yeah. be functioning within um, this environment where it also has the citrus bioflavonoids there. So, so now we basically make sure that the quercetin is having an antioxidant um, uh, nearby uh, to utilize to make sure that we get the safe metabolites of quercetin. And <clears throat> It also has to do with um, uh, with the status of, of glutathione, basically, yep. in the cell. And that is the reason why we recommend you take your quercetin with NAC uh, and acetylcysteine, which is uh, a precursor to glutathione and can help uh, boost glutathione even more. And the reason why um, we want this is because, again, glutathione is a potent antioxidant. So it's all about this oxidant-antioxidant balance in the cell that uh, ensures whether, um, you know, quercetin goes one way or another, and you make sure that the quercetin is recycled back to its reduced form. And this increases the quercetin's bioavailability and effectiveness as an anti uh, an antioxidants, and there is like no safe byproducts, basically. And, um, and just to summarize, there are a couple of ways to take quercetin. So if you've never taken a senolytic agent before, and by the way, it looks like um, senolytic drugs um, like quercetin, they kind of, um, they work together in synergy when you take a couple of them. So for example, there is another senolytic agent called fisetin, although there is not an, uh, there is not that many studies on it. So quercetin is a compound that has been discovered uh, quite a long time ago, and there are different studies outlining the, the benefits of quercetin for cardiovascular disease, uh, anti-inflammatory properties, um, and then anti-allergy uh, properties as well, because it does fight the, the, the histamine response of the mm -hmm. body. And this is why people with seasonal allergies can also benefit from benefit quercetin, from quercetin, by quercetin. The way. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. Uh, and it's an anti-cancer agent as well. Sorry to interrupt, but like yes, my mum's yes. protocol includes three times a day quercetin. Uh, she doesn't mm -hmm. have it with the glutathione in her case because for cancer you don't put glutathione or N-acetylcysteine in yep. the mix, but that's mm -hmm. specifically for people uh, suffering from cancer. For other people, that's fine. Um, but it's a very big anti-cancer 
uh, mm-hmm. agent as well for the same reasons, by the way, you know. Yes. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the me- mechanisms of action are good for the athlete, mm-hmm. are good for the cancer yeah. um, in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, flavonoids are very interesting. So they're natural compounds. So quercetin can be found in different fruits and veggies like strawberries and onions and things like that. And there are other flavonoids as well, such as fisetin, for example. As I said, um, there is there is a new one um, that is very interesting. I think it's like a black pepper extract that is also a quite potent. I can send you a link to this, by the way, after the mm-hmm. podcast. I think you'll find it interesting to, to have a to look have at. A read. And yep. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't taken these compounds before, these flavonoids for, for their senescent action per se, you want to, to first have a course where you're taking quercetin every day. So people usually start with 500 mg, which is uh, a very safe, but also potent, um, potent kind of dosage. And then you, you take it for a month, let's say, and then you see how you feel. And by the way, um, the people don't know this much about quercetin, but what it does, uh, it also uh, blocks the CD38 enzyme that is consuming NAD. Ah. And there, there are other more potent uh, flavonoids like apigenin, for example, apigenin, that do a yep. great job. But uh, there is actually a paper that we can also link for, for our subscribers here that shows that both apigenin and quercetin can block CD38. Yep. Uh, apigenin can block it more, but quercetin does have this uh, effect as well. And wow. they've seen a 30% increase in NAD levels after treatment with quercetin. So this is really, really cool. So definitely a really nice anti-aging effect there will help you preserve your NAD levels, uh, you know, along with your NAD boosters, obviously. And you're taking this this quercetin for a month, then you see how uh, you feel, how your performance changes um, and things like that. And then we also have some detox protocols you can do with quercetin. So this would be um, uh, quercetin in higher dosages. So you could do two or two and a half grams. There is another paper I will send you about this um, that shows that patients were taking um, either two or two and a half grams of quercetin for five days a month. And then, um, you know, it's flushing out all of the senescent cells very well. You can combine it with um, with chlorella as well, which is oh, a natural wow. supplement. Yeah. Um, that is also uh, that also has a detoxifying yeah. action, especially against heavy metals. And mm. this will be quite an intense, nice detox you can do. Uh, I would suggest to start with only quercetin for five days and see how you feel. Um, it does give me a headache sometimes when I do it detox. myself. And yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a, quite an intense process. And after you've tried it out by itself, then next time you do it, you can add the chlorella as well. Also. 500 mg and then you're you're flushing everything out and i think that yeah chlorella is something i use especially like if i'm eating fish or whatever because i want to take that mercury out of it and it's a very good detox so anytime you're doing a detox it is really worth thinking about how are you binding it and getting rid of it out of out of the the, the toxins actually out of the body so that you don't get headaches and it's not Mm -hmm. depositing somewhere else so that's a beautiful combination i didn't know that one so thank you for that um, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's so, two yeah, and a would, half grams a day in total. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Yeah, 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 it is a lot. 
and you know maybe someone would consider to take let's say one gram a day first for a couple of days and see how they feel and then increase it because obviously you know you can have all kinds of reactions into even natural compounds when you take them in high mm. dosages so you want to kind of take it easy and uh, I'd like to put a disclaimer here as well so people with kidney disease should be quite careful about quercetin and they should always consult their doctor first before taking it and especially before taking it in high dosages because um, you know you don't want to mess up with your kidney function because again like the flush the detox yeah. flush will actually be quite intense from quercetin it's a very efficient compound that wow. and it's been demonstrated in multiple um, you know human clinical studies so really really cool compound and then as a baseline maintenance you would want to keep on taking the quercetin at 500 mg a day um, you know and I think that it's a really nice uh, compound both for athletes but also for people that want to preserve a really nice um, kind of um, you know function in their cells keep the senescent load in the body down just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to support us. So we we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. And, and so when we when we add all this up and we you know like at NMN Bio, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Lena and I, um, well Lena is the founder of the company NMN Bio, and I have the New Zealand Australian sort of branch, so to speak, down here. Um, and we have NMN, we have TMG, which is trimethylglycine, and we have quercetin, and there'll be more products on the way when Alina uh, has time to uh, develop them because there's a lot that we want to develop, but it takes time yes. to do this properly. Um, so how does it work in synergy with uh, NMN and TMG, trimethylglycine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I think we should touch on our next subject here, subject here in order to understand what's going on and why mm-hmm. do we need the other products and how do they work with yep. regards to athletes. So we already touched on the mitochondrial decline and the, the speed dwindling and things like that. Now, the next thing that uh, athletes experience as they age is loss of endurance. Basically, they, their, their endurance is declining, you know, the VO max and things like that. And 
but we got to say that, you know, the range, the normal range for a lot of things is quite wide. So you would, you, if your endurance is dropping, if your VO2 max is dropping up to a certain level, it doesn't mean that you're sick, but you're still not performing your best. So this is what we're going for. We want you to perform Optimal. your best. <laughs> uh, yes. And then um, after you're 40, you also have the muscle loss kicking in. Yeah. And uh, yeah. this is what we call sarcopenia. And it basically becomes harder and harder to preserve your muscle mass, which is obviously critical for athletes. Now, there are a couple of things that we can do here. And I think that, again, depending on your sport and your goals, uh, you might want to regular the, uh, regulate the fasting window, uh, maybe increase it if you think that you need more muscle growth and things like that. But what else can you do here? So you obviously want to have more oxygenation in your tissues mm -hmm. and uh, in order to, to preserve the endurance and and uh, and the muscle. So uh, what uh, we do is we offer a very high quality NMN product, nicotinamide mononucleotide. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, is a derivative of vitamin B3. And it's been clinically demonstrated to uh, increase uh, both endurance and also prevent age-related muscle loss. And it looks like it does this in, um, in elderly men and also in healthy adults because it preserves the oxygenation and uh, the ability of the tissue to, uh, to oxygenate itself, which is very, very um, crucial. And also okay. there is a study showing that there is an increased insulin sensitivity um, in pre-diabetic women wow. when they take NMN only for a few weeks. Now, how does this relate to, you know, tissue preserving of tissue and things like that. When your uh, muscle keeps on being insulin sensitive, basically the, the oxygenation can be affected by this. And also like the whole um, function in your tissue will be better because of this process, because you're not going into insulin resistance. You don't have this, this you know, sugars floating around your blood oh, and things like that. Yep. So uh, it's very important for longevity, this, this supplement, because... Um, it, it does have a, 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 like many, many effects, including activating the sirtuin one, which is one of our longevity genes. And it has to do with, um, you know, DNA repair and mm -hmm. things like that. So everything mm -hmm. functions better. But uh, specifically for athletes, we do see increased endurance, in, increased VO max, increased tissue oxygenation, and we do see the prevention of the muscle loss. Now, in order for the NMN to function its best and to... Um, to basically make sure that it's metabolized um, in, in an optimal way because uh, the first N in NMN stands for nicotinamide and this needs to be secreted by urine uh, when you consume it. So in order for us to secrete it, we need a methyl group attached to it. And again, uh, we did already record a, yep. a wonderful podcast before and about methylation yep. and <laughs> we went into a lot of depth um, on the subject. So we do need this methyl groups um, to be attached to, to nicotinamide. And then uh, where do you get these groups, right? So obviously methylation is another process that unfortunately declines with age. And that's why you need something that would be basically a methyl donor. So mm -hmm. a molecule that would be have in methyl donors, uh, methyls on it. Uh, one uh, rich methyl donor is TMG, which is our other product, which is a molecule of uh, glycine with three methyl groups attached to it. And this is exactly what it does. It gives 
your body the methyl groups that it needs in order to function properly because methylation is involved in DNA expression, in neurotransmitters. Um, you know, everything is is uh, pretty much working better. Yeah, when detox. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And then it also makes sure that um, you do have enough methyl groups in order to metabolize your NMN optimally. And this is what, you know, gets into your tissues and repairs the tissues and makes sure that, you know, you have enough oxygenation in there and everything is working properly. Now, uh, this is a combination that um, I realized is very important. And this is why we started the company with these two products. But then, you know, quercetin comes into the system and also flashes out the bad cells within your tissues. And this is where the magic happens because now you have a lot of happy cells. They're insulin sensitive. Uh, you know, they have a lot of oxygenation and you got rid of the zombie cells that were just sitting there. Uh, as I said, you know, in some tissues, it can go up to 20% of your cells just being senescent and just doing nothing in there. You don't want the cells around because they basically turn your whole body to zombie. So uh, you get rid of those. And now you have a combination that allows you to have a better uh, performance, better endurance as an athlete. Very, very important. You're, you're um, dealing with a reactive oxygen species because of that. And, you know, everything just works better. Yeah. And this is like just so, this is so intricate and so intertwined, but this methylation process is just so, so important for, for, for so many reasons. So to have these two together is, is, is really, really gold. Um, and, and, you know, as, as I get older, this becomes more and more important that I want to keep my function. And with this information, I truly believe that I will be able to maintain my function and, you know, hopefully don't get run over by a bus or something, but um, (laughs) that we can have functional lifespan, functional Mm -hmm. lifespan, good, healthy lifespan, another 10, 20, 30 years. And by then the science will even be further and we'll be able to do more. So this is really giving us a quality of life and it's helping reverse a lot of the disease processes. I work with a lot of one-on-one clients who are dealing with some serious health issues. You know, one of the first things that, that I see in a lot of them is insulin resistance. It, 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 mo- a lot of the population over 40 uh, have unknown that uh, uh, insulin resistance going on. And that is the gateway to decline for so many other things. So if we can get that insulin resistance and if we can get that oxygenation up, and that's why I love anything that increases oxygenation. Um, so that's why I like, like hyperbaric, like, like it's in the background there, because <laughs> that increases oxygenation. You know, you put that, uh, when, when you have hypoxic tissues because of inflammation, because of senescent cells or because of damaged or injuries or wounds or whatever, then you're not going to be able to get rid of the waste. You're not going to be able to do any of these things. So this is, uh, we start to make a really fantastic protocol that you can tweak and, and, and make for yourself using these natural health supplements, using things like hyperbaric oxygen if you have the opportunity, adding in the exercise, the lifestyle interventions, and voila, you, you don't need to age as fast as everybody else. You know, and all of us have seen 60-year-olds who act like 40-year-olds and 40-year-olds who are like 80-year-olds. It's not just about your chronological age. It's also about your biological age, isn't it? And slowing yes, that absolutely. down. 
It was very interesting. I went to a birthday party on Saturday and I met a woman that was looking so good. I thought she was around maybe 38, something like that. And then someone said, well, yeah, she has her grandson here. And I'm like, wait, what? How old is she? And they're like, she's 53. And, you know, her skin is amazing. Her body is amazing. There is no metabolic syndrome. So, you yeah. know, like she, she still has like a nice waist uh, to hips ratio because yes, this is actually very important. something that... Um, that very, is very important because it's an indicator of metabolic syndrome that the insulin resistance starts climbing up, basically. So you definitely want to make sure that you preserve your shape uh, yes. as you go. And this is another uh, subject, actually, because uh, something that happens after 40 quite drastically, if you don't take any measures, is the hormonal dysfunction. Yeah. So now... You hit by that. It's very interesting what we're unwrapping in this podcast because you realize that as you age, issues keep on coming up. And yeah, you, sure know, you need to have a, a very like you need to make a very conscious effort in order to make sure that you know they don't get you. Because as you said, you have insulin resistance and then this leads to a bunch of other stuff. You know, your memory starts getting worse, your um your risk of Alzheimer's disease and cancer risk and, and all that is um you know is increasing as you age age when you have insulin resistance. And I mean, everything, like all risks are increasing as you age, yeah. but if you do have the insulin resistance, and unfortunately there is a very, very big do. amount of, of adults uh, that, that has that now, I think the estimates are something like 80% of, you know, of people in the Western world have insulin resistance that mm. are pre-diabetic and this is crazy. Right. And, yeah. but then, you know, you go to a supermarket and you see all these aisles of carbs that are just, carbs, you know, carbs, processed carbs. Food. <laughs> yeah, like in different flavors. And it's very profitable for, you know, for this industry to run because it's not, it doesn't need as much maintenance as uh, like real um, live food does, yeah. right? Like you don't need a fridge for the carbs, like it's not meat, it's not natural. So, you know, you just have all this sitting on the shelves, like Processed a huge for a day, yeah. like three years shelf life. <laughs> and, you know, it's disgusting. And, and, you know, then we're wondering, oh my God, why is that? Why is everyone so overweight? That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it yeah. becomes a very vicious cycle. And unless you really, um, you know, study this stuff, you wouldn't know. You would not know yeah, because yeah, you were exactly. told, you are advertised to that, you know, these cereals are fantastic and these, you know, and, and when you, when I talk to people about their diet, um, you know, and when nobody's going for perfect, we all have times when we're, we're not right. But when I talk to people, they think they are on a healthy diet. And yet when yeah. you break it down, they're having bread, they're having pasta, they're having rice, they're having yeah. uh, lentils, yeah. they're having – none of those things are, are, are evil, but you don't want to be having carb, 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 or they're having yeah. bananas and a half a kilo of grapes and they're thinking that's, that's, that's great, you know, like – and I used to think that and then wonder why I've got weight issues, you know, because I, 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 I associated fruit with being a healthy thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. But it's all about the amount of sugar and when you're taking it. And, you know, if I've just run a marathon, yeah, it's fine if I have some sugar because I'm going to yeah. be metabolizing it within seconds, right? And I'm metabolically able to deal with that because I haven't got insulin resistance. And, mm -hmm. and it's the more insulin resistance diabetic you are, the more you need to cut down the carbs, basically. And the more yes. you need to watch what you are eating as far as your, your oils, you've got to have good oils. So if, if you, yes. if you don't do any of the fancy stuff and you don't want to get too carried away, just cut carbs and, and, and take good oils and eat real food and avoid processed. Yes. And you know, you're 90% yeah. of the way there. 
you know, and then you yeah, that, that's a great point. Yes. Yeah. And you know what people sometimes they just overthink it and they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't even know where to start with this whole like longevity thing. And I don't know how to be healthy. Well, start with the basics. You don't have to go uh, and like buy 20 supplements and, and go some expensive treatments at first. There are so many things that you can do for free that can modify your hormones and can modify your, your well-being and kind of increase the, this health span window, like the, the, the years that you spend in good health. So mm-hmm. refined oils, definitely one of them. Just cut them out. You know, you just have extra virgin olive oil and, and butter and, and that's yeah. pretty much it. And then you have um, you, you have your, your low carb diet. And I, I like, uh, I'm diving deep into nutrition. It's very interesting to see there is, there is a great book that I'm, I'm currently listening to. It's called deep nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's written by an MD and it's not a particular type of diet that she advocates for. She's just telling you what the processed foods do to your body and wow. to your genes and yeah. to your ancestors. And it's just mind blowing. It's, it's crazy what I'm learning from this book. Like, honestly, like every time I put it on, um, I'm just mind blown. And like, oh, gosh. It, yeah, because it, uh, she, she touches on the point that, uh, you know, if the mother is malnutritioned, then, you know, the baby will not have the optimal function or form. So this means function means health. Because mm-hmm. let's say, you know, the bone structure needs to be proper and you, you need the nutrients to make sure that your baby has the, the proper bone structure to make sure that, you know, it can, uh, the respiration is, is optimized, right? Otherwise, you know, it, it's going mm-hmm. to be a problem. And then the form is basically beauty. And it has to do with the fact that if you, if the mother has enough nutrients, um, the baby will be having a very symmetrical bone structure. It's going to be more beautiful and things like that. And then also the hormones will be affected. And yeah, uh, would definitely recommend this book to everyone. Really, yeah. really interesting. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I was talking yeah. about what Deep you can down. optimize first in order to make sure that you live long and you optimize your hormones and, uh, good food, clean food would be step number one. There is no such thing as um, universal diet. So you don't have to be on keto or carnivore or whatever every no. day no. because, uh, you know, your body is different. And for women, for example, during the different days of the month, the insulin sensitivity fluctuates. So this is why we're craving carbs some days of the month. And this is fine as well because, uh, you know, need a bit you, more. Yeah, we need them a bit more and and there is nothing wrong with that. But you want to make sure that uh, you are doing clean eating. So you're you're just cutting off the processed foods of your diet. And then there are a couple of hacks that can um, uh, even contribute to better neurotransmission and better hormonal balance that are completely free. For example, taking a cold shower in the morning. Yeah. And this is what I did today, by the way, before our podcast. I woke up and, you know, I just went into cold shower. I'm like, oh my God, this is so cold. But, you know, I stayed there for about a minute or so. And you can start with just 10 seconds of cold exposure and what the body does is that uh, basically cold exposure is stress for the body and it's unpleasant feeling is basically pain and uh, what you do with the cold shower when you stop it the body is so happy that it doesn't have the stress this pain anymore that it starts producing 
releasing dopamine and yes. then it kind of wakes you up and then you're feeling great and i, I, I could see myself and... in the mirror yeah. i was actually smiling after my shower because <laughs> it was over i'm glad <laughs> it's over yeah it's horrible i do it every morning and it's so easy in the summer and you're in blooming thailand so you can do it easy but it's really hard when it's bloody cold outside and then you got to get into a cold shower but i make myself do it every day for that short sharp shock in the morning it helps and you know get my cortisol levels up when it should be up you suppress your mm-hmm. melatonin get some good light in the yes. in the morning as well and get that cold yes. exposure create that cascade of 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 genetic mm-hmm. Uh, things that I want to have happen and then throughout the the day sort of managing your stress levels doing movement uh, regularly getting the right light on your eyes all of those aspects you know which we cover on this podcast ad nauseum but then adding in the right things and taking out the wrong foods and stuff and you don't have to be perfect I'm not perfect Uh, you know I you know some people think oh you must be just absolute no we're all humans we all have moments where you go damn I want that cake you know (laughs) and sometimes you lose that battle that's okay it's about straight back after maybe doing some berberine or something (laughs) with some milk thistle (laughs) or some metformin and then getting back on the bandwagon you know and then and and trying to do a bit better next time and next time so it's all about those increments not beating yourself up because that just makes more stress you know that's what I yes. find too. Um, yeah. oh, this has just been so gold, and we could go into. We should do an episode on 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 hormones and and um, oh, all yeah. of that. Yeah, I think this will be very interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic. Can we just go on to like? Okay, we've talk, been talking a lot about athletes, but this is the same value for for every everybody. They don't have to be an athlete to take a lot of this information on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also like we were going to talk about centenarians and their genetic makeup and some of the habits that they adopt and stuff. I think we've covered some of the habits and stuff. But, you know, what is the difference? Why do some people live to be 100 mm-hmm. years old and they're still, you know, relatively healthy versus other people who die at, you know, 55? Um, yeah. So yeah, there is a very on? interesting uh, podcast that goes into um, detail uh, on this. Um, uh, it's by Peter Atia. And if you just type in Peter Atia Centenarians, you're going to find it. And it's like a three hour podcast. Very interesting. Would highly recommend to everyone. Uh, but in a nutshell, there is basically, uh, there were three hypotheses as to why centenarians live that long. So first uh, was disproven quite quickly when people kind of into what centenarians do and it was the hypothesis of their lifestyle and their habits and actually we see that a lot of centenarians are smoking a lot of centenarians are not exercising so it's not that <laughs> um, and then the other two hypotheses have to do with either the um, absence of um, of high risk genes Mm. or the presence of genes that mitigate for it. Yeah. Now, hypothesis number, uh, number two was also disproven about the absence of high-risk genes because we mm. see some centenarians having, for example, um, some really bad mutations uh, uh, with regards to Alzheimer's disease. So we, we do have the APOE4 allele mm. that is basically predisposing you for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And the crazy part is that there are some centenarians that have two copies of this gene, wow. APOE4, and they which don't basically um, 
condemns you to have Alzheimer's disease, but they don't have it. Now, um, so the researchers dug, uh, dug more into this and they did a genomic analysis to see what's going on with centenarians and uh, why that is the case. And it looks like there is a presence of other genes that are basically mitigating for the risks that they might be having from, from this nasty variant. And um, don't quote me on this, but you know, there is like so many genes that can predispose you to certain risks, oh, yeah, all major diseases, cancer, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, um, you know, diabetes, things like risk. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hormonal problems. But then you have some some really beneficial variants that are actually protecting you against it. Now, centenarians are very interesting. So it looks like there there are many of them that uh, are not married, for example, which I found very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Or don't have children. Yeah. Um, So you know they they don't have someone sucking the life out of them. But then there there are many of them that do have children as well. And there is a study analyzing the genomic makeup that the centenarians have and their children have. And it looks like there are uh, certain things that... um, basically are good for you when you're young, but then after, um, you know, you've completed your growth phase until your mid-20s, they're not that good for you anymore. Mm. An example of this would be levels of IGF-1 yeah. uh, that has to do with, with uh, you know, the growth. And I think there was there, there was a percentage of centenarians, around 12%, that were actually two, three inches taller than the average population. And oh. what they've seen is that their levels of IGF-1 now are actually low. So Uh scientists were wondering what's going on there. And it looks like when they were younger, they were actually uh, having increased IGF-1 that helped them with muscle growth and tissue growth. And then it basically switched off, you know, and and this made them have less risk of cancer and blah, 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 blah. So So did they uh, do that with lifestyle interventions or was it a genetic thing? Did they they stop the IGF-1? Uh, like my mum has IGF-1, too much IGF-1, so that's why I don't have a lot of mTOR phases with, with her because she doesn't need a lot of protein and stuff to – she grows naturally, right? She, yeah, so it looks, like, it, it looks like in this particular study – in the centenarians that they analyzed, the IGF-1 just dropped by itself. Wow. So there was no intervention that happened. It's just their genetic uh, combination allowed for it and made sure that the IGF-1 is basically being kept low after a certain phase of their life. Um, wow. They were analyzing the, their children as well to see that their children that are in their 50s or 60s also have low IGF-1. So it must have been switching on uh, you know, earlier in life. And yeah. this is very interesting. And then, of course, you have, um, you know, you, you have some things that um, have to do with hormonal regulation, like thyroid hormones mm. and things like that. So it's a whole kind of phenotype. And there are some things that are consistent in centenarians and are not being seen um, uh, in other populations, because uh, basically you have your TSH hormone um, that re- that uh, circles back into producing T3 and T4. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't want those to be out of control either. And what no. we're seeing in centenarians is that they have high TSH1, which is responsible for, uh, for, uh, for maintaining good thyroid function, but their T3 and T4 are, are, are low, low. like the normal range. So wow. this is also a paradox that we're seeing with centenarians. So uh, I think it's, it's fascinating what we can see now 
with the studies because it looks like um, you know the, 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 this whole hormonal process is being regulated uh, differently in centenarians. Um, but you know, like we don't see it in normal people. And another interesting fact here is that uh, we do see regular people dying early, having heart attacks, and you know, like with every year of their life, the risk for heart attacks and strokes and Alzheimer's and cancer um, is basically increasing. And with centenarians, they don't get any of this stuff at this point of life, so they live up to 100, 110, and so on, and. Uh, they still might might get uh, these diseases. They ju- but is much just later. they they get them later, so their health span is longer. Mm. But then the interesting thing is that when someone has a heart attack at their uh, 55, for example, you know, they, um, they, they, they are on medication and they, they get certain treatments and things like that. And then they end up dying, let's say 10 or 15 years later, they're not going to die straight away. But with centenarians, it looks like they're going to have a major issue coming up and then they would die only six months later after the heart attack, for example. Yeah. Now, yeah, which makes this sense. is an interesting it yeah. makes sense. And it's an interesting point because uh, maybe this happens because they get it late in life. So then they're already more frail than the 50 years old patient uh, and they've already more age. So then they're more prone to dying, um, you know, much faster from the diseases that that will get them basically yeah. later on. So that's very interesting. And I think that, um, you know, what we're seeing is that we, we want to basically imitate this and make sure that, um, you know, we, we optimize our genes as, as soon as possible. But the, the key takeaway messages here is that the hormonal balance is very important. Mm-hmm. And what and if you can mitigate for this in different ways, whether it's supplements, it's your nutrition, it's your exercise and things like that, you want to do this. And not necessarily with uh, some hardcore treatments. For example, um, you know, we do need the IGF-1 high when we're in our, uh, in our teens or, and 20s. Yeah, when and we're growing. Fine. Yep. Uh, but uh, there are some doctors that are prescribing, you know, growth hormones when you're 50, and that's not necessarily, yeah. uh, you know, a good thing uh, because whatever is good for you when you're young doesn't mean that it's good for you when you're old. So yeah. you need to be mild, mindful of that and mm-hmm. then just say, okay, well, what is in my control that I can do in order to preserve a good hormonal ban- balance? We already talked about processed food, so this is a place to start because all of this junk that people are eating do affect their hormones and, you know, um, it looks Hugely. like caloric restric- restriction and exercise are a very good combination to kind of yep. preserve your body as healthy as possible. And it might even um, be beneficial for your hormonal balance. And again, you're, you don't want to overdo it with exercise, but you do want to be locking in a regular exercise um, a couple of times or a few times a week. Um, so yeah, that is the... Yeah, the you want your growth hormone when you're doing your weight training you know, or popping in the sauna and getting your growth hormone, but you don't want to be injecting yourself with growth hormone necessarily because then you're upping your chances of cancer and things like that. So yeah, do do some cold showers, (laughs) sauna, you know, we, we talked about sauna before as well. Very, uh, very Very beneficial and activates your longevity genes. Very nice. And then longevity genes, make sure that your, your, uh, your hormones are working well. So again, you know, the take home message is that 
do what you can on a daily basis because this is not a sprint, it's a marathon and you want to be committed to this on a daily basis in order to preserve yourself as much as possible. That is so beautiful and I think that wraps it up nicely, Alina. I think because it, it is about the daily things that you do. It's not about, you know, I was talking to Dr. Yurth, who's one of my favorite doctors and she's a longevity specialist and she said, you know, if I've got someone with arthritis and I go and put in stem cells but their body's inflamed and they've got senescent cells up the wazoo and they've got chemokines and cytokines yeah. and, you know, all running around and they don't, you know, they're not doing, they're eating the wrong, the, the stem cells are not going to help. Because yes, I put them exactly. into a body that's already, you know, we need to clear out the crap first, get the inflammatory markers mm-hmm. down and then put the stem cells in and then we'll have success, for example. You know, so there's always this backwards thinking in medicine often where you just put the Band-Aid on without going back mm-hmm. to the, the, the source. But it's about daily doing the little things that mm-hmm. help you stay young and healthy for and, and yes. doing it to the best of your ability. And if you have... You know, like I, uh, with hyperbaric, uh, two or three times a year, I'll do a, a block, four to six weeks, so that I'm actually I'm in the block right now to to really get my my body going again, and then I'll have a break for a little bit, you know, uh, and, and cycling in and out of these things, but mm-hmm. being consistent every day. I'm doing something to improve my yeah. life. Um, yes. and being, yeah. being really all in. And uh, I think we, we wrap it up there, Alina, because it was just a brilliant mm-hmm. uh, conversation today. We've gone all over that. I hope if anyone doesn't understand the science, please, you know, put it down to a slow speed and listen to it again. Um, it is it is very <laughs> complex, uh, you know, um, and there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, nomenclature that people won't understand perhaps if this is the first time that they've, they've heard it uh, don't let that put you off you'll get the jargon after a while you'll start to under understand it and um, you know you'll be able to pull out little pieces that you can implement today whether it was a bit mm-hmm. about the food or a bit about the quercetin or the, the NMN or whatever it was thank you Alina you're just absolutely amazing thank you so much Lisa see you soon see you again That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.